Good morning. Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that, may we, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, in the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Word of God, word of life. Good morning. Our Gospel reading is from the book of Matthew, the 24th chapter. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For, it, for as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Word of God, word of life. Oof. Many of you are familiar with the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. If the serenity prayer asks us to accept the things that we cannot change, our gospel text this morning asks us to accept that we cannot control or fully know the ways in which God enters this broken world of ours. This comes as a challenging message to most all of us this morning. We who are likely already tipping toward December 25th, we who are all part of a push to make it to the finish line of Christmas when we can create a snapshot of our future, 
where love and contentment and family and nostalgia reign. I'm not criticizing us or the powerful cultural messages around this time of year, but rather trying to highlight how profound our, yearning, our, our yearnings are to plan and create and manage a future of our own making. And so in the midst of all of this, our gospel reading this morning disrupts us. We are all primed to enter a cozy advent where storylines are familiar. And instead, we encounter images of Jesus sneaking around back at an unexpected hour, a thief prowling around in the middle of the night. Well, so much for a cozy advent. It is a comfort, I think, that the disciples, and even Jesus for that matter, are trying to come to grips with the same uncertain future that we are. The time when Jesus will die is so very close at hand in the part in, at this point in the story, and they are all grieving it already. And the disciples have a profound question. When, Jesus, will you be coming back? When exactly will that be? What should we be doing with ourselves in the meantime? And Jesus' answer leaves a little to be desired. He says, no one, not even me, knows. No one, not even me, knows. So here we are at the beginning of Advent, trying once again to embrace the hope of the season, that through the coming of the baby Jesus, the world is about to turn. And I know you, like me, are praying for his coming because the world desperately needs to turn, doesn't it? To turn away from the things that diminish and destroy life to turn away from the violent shootings and the hate crimes, from wars and the dislocation of people, from an economic model that favors the haves instead of the have-nots. We get an answer from Jesus about the, when this turning will all take place, but it's a little light on the details. He simply says, it is coming. God is near. Keep awake. Keep awake for it. And so there it is, our reason for hope. Jesus is still hopeful on that day in Jerusalem, on that day when his death is all but certain, on that day that he is trying to prepare his disciples for what is to come, and on that day when he himself admits that he cannot even fully understand the coming of the kingdom of God. And still, even on that day, Jesus has hope. His hope for the future was alive and present, even on a day when all seemed as though it was lost. And so we can learn from him. We must learn from him to breathe in and embody his hope for ourselves and for one another and for the world. 
We lit a candle on the Advent wreath this morning to represent this enduring hope that God has come near and continues to come near to us in the dailiness of life. Sometimes during Advent and Christmas, the dichotomy and language of light and dark can be restrictive. There's a long history in the church of using words like light and white and bright to describe goodness, and words like dark and black and shadow to mean quite the opposite. But if we are to take our gospel passage seriously this morning, none of us has a clear handle on when and where God shows up. So we don't light this candle to say that being in the light all the time is positive and the goal, or that walking in darkness is somehow flawed or where we shouldn't be, but rather we light this candle to say that God promises to show up in all the places and all the ways and all the shades of living. Last week, I had the privilege of presiding at a healing service for members of the West Suburban Grief Coalition. I know from several conversations that this is an organization that has been an amazing source of caring and support for many in our community. One woman at the service told me that the Grief Coalition was a club she never intended to join. She never expected to join. And yet, there was God coming near in the midst of all the unexpected and never wished for, in the word, in the music, in the saying of names, those beloved ones lost too soon, in the praying and in the tears as well. Another unexpected visitor showed up at an unexpected hour in my office last week. His recent grief and loss too overwhelming for words. He needed to talk to God that much he knew. And visiting me to pray, me a pastor he didn't even know, was important to him in that moment on that afternoon. God's breaking into this world is unexpected. What if instead of imagining God as a thief in the middle of the night, which I have to admit does not work for me, we imagine God as a loving visitor, due for a visit any time now, the details of which remain unknown. How would we keep the lamp on for our new friend, watching, waiting, open and eager for signs of their coming, ready for their arrival with food in the pantry and a teapot on the stove. When our, when our friend finally does arrive, how might we invite them into our well-planned world? We light our first Advent candle this morning not to lay claim to the way and the timing by which our Lord will come near to us, but to remind ourselves in hope that whatever way we turn toward the past, 
or in the present or toward the future, God has been and continues to be near. We stay awake because of this promise. We watch for it in breaking in ways that we can just barely glimpse. And we walk forward in this promise, step by step and always together. It is Advent. And Christ has come. And Christ is coming. And Christ will come again. Praise be to God. Amen.